Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We are in the book of 1 Samuel. We've made it to chapter 21. If you want to read along with me, let's begin. Verse 1. Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David is the same David and Goliath David. Uh, Ahimelech is apparently the priest. And David is sort of on the run because the king, Saul, is hunting him down. Saul gave him his daughter, um, oh, I forget her name, uh, oh, Michael. He gave her, gave David his daughter uh, in marriage, and but his son, Jonathan, is in love with David, or their soulmates is the way it's described. Um, that's Saul's son, the king. Um, so now... His children are more loyal to David than uh, they are to him. So Saul is hunting David down to kill him uh, for other reasons also, though, because he's gotten a prophecy in previous chapters from Samuel, the priest or the uh, prophet, I should say, who told him that his time was up as king and that the Lord had already chosen a replacement for him. He didn't name who it was going to be, but Saul's reading the uh, writing on the wall and can tell that it must be David because David's growing in popularity. Verse 2, so David said to Himalek, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I've commanded you. And I've directed my young men to such and such a place. So David here is lying. He's um, He hasn't been directed by Saul the king to go anything to go anywhere or do anything. He's saying that to save his own neck because he's on the run, um, and he's gone to Ahimelech for a, a purpose. Um, and it seems like a big picture idea of what's happening in this chapter. So let's keep reading. Let's see, verse three. Now, there, now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. So David's gone to him because he's hungry. He needs food. He's on the run. And so he's um, asking Ahimelech to give him those provisions so that he can have something to eat and feed his men. Um, but the part of this that I was saying sort of is a big picture idea because this is one of the verses that Jesus reflects on in the Gospels. In um, three of the Gospels, Jesus reflects back on this episode and um but we'll keep reading and I'll just, we'll go back on the part of what I'm referring to. Um, so he's asking the priest to give him some bread. Verse 4, and the priest answered David and said, There's no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. So um, like we've read again and again, the Bible is a patriarchal document, meaning it focuses on what's best for and what the best interest of the men, the males. Uh, throughout the whole Bible, except for the red letters of what Jesus teaches and preaches. His is the only um, fair, uh, I guess that'd be the word, uh, approach to the sexes, whereas the rest of the Bible is mostly intended to uh, shed the best light on men and be all about the men, even though that sort of thing is frowned on by Bible thumpers to be considerate of men and uh, disregard women, but it just shows you the hypocrisy of society um, throughout time. But um, one of the things there uh, in the, about this verse 
the other thing about it is that he's saying if he's kept them from women, meaning the women are considered, it's considered sinful to be with women. And when they, when he's talking about from women, he means having sex with them. He's saying if they haven't been sexually active with women, then they're ritually clean to go ahead and eat some of the holy bread that's on hand, even though it's just bread. Um, so verse five, then David answered the priest and said to him, truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out and the vessels of the young men are holy and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So David is making sense there. He's like, it's just bread. It's, it's not, it's nothing but bread. Even, but even though, even still the men have not had been sexually active with women, he's saying, didn't say anything about them being sexually active with each other because remember, um, it's not about the men interacting with the men. David had uh, just said goodbye to Jonathan with kisses and tears um, when he said goodbye to him. And that wasn't even an issue except for with Saul. Saul wasn't happy about the fact that David and Saul, David and his son were so close, even closer enough that he'd betray his own father for David's sake. Um, so it's not about the men being with each other that's a problem. It's only if they had been with women that it would be considered a problem ritually. So, but he, so David's telling him, no, the men are clean. And um, it, but it, at the end of the day, it's only bread anyway. Um, verse six. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place. On the day when it was taken away, so that showbread is what it's what David is what they're referring to is what we read previously that the people were ordered religiously to keep fresh bread on hand as showbread, basically just for display, and the people weren't allowed to eat it. The priests were um, free to eat it, but it, the common people, everyone else, the non-elites, weren't allowed to eat it. But it was an, a command um, for their religion. To constantly keep the bread fresh each day and it was considered holy bread and it was called show bread because it's for show not for them to eat um and that's the part that jesus is reflected jesus reflected on in the gospels let me see if i can make sure i get this place here um so if you want to look it up yourself you can look in matthew chapter 12 uh, mark chapter 2 or luke chapter 6 but for now we'll just go with matthew chapter 12 because it kind of goes into um, enough depth of what's happening when Jesus reflected back on um, the David incident. Um, so let's see. When he was, um, I'm just going to read through it and then, you know, summarize it for how I understand it to relate to what we just read. So Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. So it's Jesus and his disciples on the move, hungry, so they're eating heads of grain uh, fresh from the fields. So heads of grain would be like wheat or barley or spelt or sunflower seeds or sesame seeds, just plucking them and eating them. And that's considered sinful by the religion. Uh, verse 2, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So again, it's considered sinful by the religion because it's considered doing work uh, on the Sabbath. Sabbath is the day of rest. You aren't supposed to do any work on it according to their uh, religion, the dogma of their religion. So 
they the Pharisees would follow Jesus around. They're the religious uh, leaders of the people at the time of Jesus' ministry um, in the flesh. And um, that's what they would do. They would follow people around acting as the law enforcement in the sense that they lay out the law, they enforce the law, and they find people when they break the law, just like in the Old Testament. And the people are um, bound by those different laws and the fines, whereas the law enforcement are exempt from them. They're allowed to break them. And that's not just me saying that. It's just like in modern times where you see police officers allowed to break the law, politicians allowed to break the law. The one in Texas has been wanted now for some years being investigated for criminal acts, and yet somehow he hasn't faced the music on that. But you see law enforcement, uh, just uh, officers get and do the same thing, shooting people in the back, black people in the back, and nothing happens. All sorts of different corruption, and nothing seems to happen to them because although they're paid to enforce the law, they're also allowed to break the law and seem exempt from the law. It's sick. It's not how it's supposed to be. What sense does it make to pay someone to do something and then allow them to keep getting paid even when they don't do it? What other job works like that? Do you get to not do your job and still get paid and then get paid leave if you do get in trouble for doing something on your job? Then you're basically just getting a paid vacation and then you still don't get criminally charged for breaking those laws you've been paid to enforce. It makes no sense, but it's the same thing with the legal system in the Bible. Um, so verse 3 of Matthew 12 helps explain. For, um, but he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? So this is when Jesus reflects back on what we're reading um, in, um, in the Old Testament about David's um, visit with the priests. Verse 4 he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So Jesus is reflecting back on that when David ate the bread, the showbread, or was uh, asking about and getting the showbread from the priests when he was on the run. Verse 5, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? So as I was just saying, how the people who are paid and enriched by enforcing the law are also the same ones exempt from uh, from uh, following the laws. They're considered blameless when they break those same laws they're paid to enforce. It makes no sense, but Jesus is calling it out here on how religion does it. And it's the same way, like I was just saying, how government and um, law enforcement do it in modern times. It's nothing new. The laws are for the common people. Um, in a lot of cases for black people, because even if you're a common person, but not black, they they look the other way if you break those same laws. But if you're black, you're expected to walk a line. And if you offend in it at all, they throw the book at you. Whereas if you're white, you might get a slap on the wrist. You might not even get bothered. But um, if you're black, it's not the same case. Um, and so Jesus is saying it's the same way with the religion, how the um, priests enforce the law on the people but they're considered blameless when they break it. Verse six, yet I say to you that in this place, there's one greater than the temple. So Jesus is making it clear that what they're doing is all about the religion, the dogma of religion. It has nothing to do with righteousness or truly pursuing what it is God would have us pursue. Instead, it's just human systems set up to herd people into a way of thinking and that there's something greater than that to be considered greater than the temple, greater than those 
uh, arbitrary laws that the people enforce, that the elites force on the common people. Verse 7, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So Jesus is saying if they were truly concerned with what with being righteous, they would consider what another part of what we call the Old Testament says in the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. That's what Jesus is referring to, where the prophet Hosea, as he's called prophet, um, says uh, what God really wants, what the Lord Almighty really seeks is mercy, not sacrifice. That that's what's truly considered righteous in God's eyes, to be merciful, to be compassionate toward each other, not animal sacrifices, the fat of animals, or sacrificing this or sacrificing that. That's not what God really seeks in people. Even though it is right there in the Bible, and even though it is laid out for the religion in the Old Testament, Jesus is making it clear that as Christians, we're supposed to have a bit of, of a different ideal in mind. Verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is making it clear there that he, as the Son of Man, as he's um, referred to, the Son, capital S, meaning Son of God, of man, meaning of men, of humanity, of people. The God coming to people in the form of a human, in, in the plainest way I can understand it. And like I said before, I think it is God's way of getting under, an understanding of what it's like firsthand to be a human, to experience the love, the betrayals, the deceits, the arrests, the, the persecution, and even the murder of that human's experience. Whereas God, viewing it from a big picture point of view from on high as the Almighty, wouldn't necessarily, wouldn't get that same experience because it's not the same as when you do it, as when you see it. Just like watching a movie is not the same as being in the movie. Uh, watching someone get chased by some madman through the woods in a scary movie is not the same thing as actually being in the woods and being chased by some nut. It's just not the same thing. So I think, like I said before, that was the point or part of the point, besides obviously the salvation part for humanity, of Jesus coming in the flesh, Jesus' mission in the flesh, I think was um, so that God Almighty would see just what it's like for people and get that empathy then. Because before then, God could have sympathy for people and um, the different struggles people face and deal with. But only coming in the flesh and experiencing firsthand could give God that empathy to know exactly what it's like to love someone and trust someone and think you're close to someone, believe you're close to someone, and then still be betrayed by those people, denied by those people, even by the people closest to him, the disciples, um, in the darkest hour before the crucifixion, and still have all the disciples forsake him and flee for their own lives. So only by experiencing that in the flesh, I think, is how God would be able to understand, okay, this is why these humans are so wretched. It's because humanity and walking in the flesh is really a challenge. It's easy to get scared by different things like when storms of life roll through and you're on a boat or like when the authorities are threatening you and because you're friends with someone or close to someone and you feel like it's what you have to do to save your own neck by denying the person you know um, and things like that. So um, that's what Jesus is reflecting back. This of uh, what we're reading in First Samuel chapter 21 is what Jesus was, Jesus was reflecting back on 
in the Gospels, the incident where David broke what's considered their religious laws about that showbread and uh, not letting common people eat it so that he could eat um, and, and that it wasn't considered sinful for him because he doesn't get condemned for it. Unfortunately, Ahimelech, the priest who helped him out, does face, a, face the music for it and has a hard time um, paying the price for giving him the bread. But David himself does. He escapes all the judgment for eating that bread uh, that was supposed to be set aside for the priests only to eat. Um, but we'll get into that when we get to it. God willing, we get to it. So now back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, verse 6. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. So that's that same showbread. That's what David got to eat when he was in need, just like Jesus said, he and the people with him. Um, and there was no other bread on hand. So um, that showbread was it. They got to eat that. Verse 7, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. So, um, as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these words or names. Um, but what we're reading here is someone else, an Edomite, meaning he's from the land of Edom or in the, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's called Edomia. Uh, and in modern times, some preachers would have you believe that that's Russia. That's not Russia. It's Edom. It's that same area right around the Jordan River um, that they're referring to and the people right around that same area. Um, so don't fall into that trap that religion and religious leaders will try to get you to fall into. It's not talking about Russia. It's talking about the land of Edom right around there. And Edom is actually a relative, the place and the people of the Israelites. It's um, Esau's descendants, that, um, which was um, uh, one of the forefathers' brothers. So um, that's who it's talking about. Um, and it's saying detained there before the Lord. And Lord here in this chapter, at least at this point, is in all caps and it's being translated from the name Jehovah. And we've gone over that again and again, how that can change and has changed throughout the narratives of the Old Testament. So it's saying that for the purpose of the big picture purpose, basically, of the Lord, that um, that's the reason that Doeg happened to be there in that moment, detained there. So specifically for that moment and that purpose, so that he could overhear what's happening between Ahimelech and David. Um, verse 8, And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I've brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So not only has David broken the um, order, the religious order about the showbread, he's lied once, and now he's lying again about not having a sword and the business he's on and all of that. He's asking for weapons from the religious place. It'd be like going to church and telling a lie to get them to feed you and then telling another lie to get the church to arm you with a gun in modern times, but in a, with a sword um, back at David's time. And again, not getting to, he's not getting condemned for any of that at all at this point anyway. Verse 9, so the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. 
So um, that's the same sword that David took from Goliath in that battle. And apparently it's being held there at that holy place, sort of like a museum would hold a, an article. And so David is asked for a weapon. They're giving him that same sword that he originally took from Goliath and then basically donated or gave to the religion to hold there. Um, and the ephod, like we read before, is basically an ornamental vest. It's what the uh, religious leaders use to set themselves apart from the common people. And it's generally, sometimes it's made of precious metals like gold. Or, and it's in at least one or two cases, instances, it's also bejeweled with all sorts of precious stones. So David has taken the sword of Goliath back for himself as a weapon for himself while he's on the run. Verse 10, then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Ashish, Akish, the king of Gath. So David is on his way again and he's armed now with the sword that he got from Goliath. And he's headed to um, some foreigners for um, 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 asylum, basically. Verse 11. And the servant of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? So um, his reputation and in war, David's, that is, his reputation, uh, in battle is well known not only to the Israelites but to other people around them. Um, so that's what they're reflecting on here: the fact that when David came back from uh, battle, the women and common people were singing songs to him about his victory over thousands and thousands of people. And it's one of the things that set Saul off hearing them singing that. Because they, again, they attributed Saul to killing thousands of people, but they said that David in the song has killed tens of thousands uh, or ten thousands. And they're reflecting back on, you can read it yourself, in First Samuel chapter 18, uh, verse 7 is what is being reflected on there. So the people he's gone to for asylum already know his reputation, and they're even bringing up the fact that there have been songs and uh, uh sung to him and his valiance in battle verse 12 now david took these words to heart and was very much afraid of akish the king of gath so gath is one of the places where the philistines is basically one of their strongholds it's a it's a popular well populated area of philistines so they already know his reputation for having killed tens of thousands of them and so when he hears them talking about that it kind of made David afraid. Verse 13, so he changed his behavior before them. Pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. So David is basically playing crazy. He's acting like he's lost his mind um, and is a madman, a, a nut, so that the people of the land, the Philistines, won't think that he's the valiant warrior that they've heard him to be. Verse 14, then Akish said to his servants, look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? So Akish, the head of the people there, is like, David's clearly out of his mind. He's some kind of nut. So what are you doing bringing him here? Verse 15, have I need of madmen that you've brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow, shall this fellow come into my house? So uh, Akish is no fool. 
he, whether he believes David is truly nutty or not, he's um, he's not feeling it. He's, he's saying, why would you bring some nut to me? Um, especially one who's known for having killed tens of thousands of their own people. So he's saying, uh-uh, no, 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 don't bring him here. So um, David's own reputation is sort of getting in his way. Um, but again, that's still not um, accounting for the fact that he's broken those religious laws about the showbread and about the weaponry that he's getting um, and the lies he told to get them. Since those are things that are commandments, the lies are thou shalt not lie. That's one of the commandments. The whole thing about the showbread is just more um, ordinances, religious dogma. But in the big picture, grand scheme of things, which is why I mentioned the, why Jesus reflected back on it. I think that in the big picture idea of it all, that the whole thing about the showbread, though it seems arbitrary, is so that at some point later, there would be bread for David, a faithful servant of um, the narrative anyway, to have something to eat. So maybe that's why that um, commandment, that law, that ordinance was set up in the first place, because at a later point um, in the big picture, um, God knew that someone faithful to God would need something to eat. And so that the people had been commanded to regularly put it out, it would be there when that time came. And then also in the truly big picture idea of it in Christianity, so that when Jesus is confronted by the dogma of religion and his servants eating um, grain out the fields and not abiding by those that religious dogma, would have something to also reflect back on from the Old Testament, from their own dogma to counter the um, the um, the opposition he received from the Pharisees when his time came. So that that's, I think, was the point of um, the Old Testament um, order about the showbread. So that in the grand scheme of things, when the time came, it would be useful for Jesus. And when his time came, hundreds, if not thousands of years later. Um, but just my idea, what I think is what it's about. So anyway, that was the last verse of this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, I appreciate you reading along with me and hope the naked truth is a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you. Stay safe. God bless you. And thank God the hurricane, the storm, the cold passed by and it wasn't nearly as bad as Ian. At least not for me. So take care of yourself. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.